0: You are listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical covenant congregation outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin. You can learn more about us at Bethelcov.org. Thanks for listening. So some of you know that uh, we were gone last weekend on a, we went on a road trip, uh, Aaron and I and, and Foster and Axel. We drove all the way to, um, a wedding in Rye, New Hampshire, which is right on the coast in New Hampshire. It's a beautiful state park, a uh, really close friend of ours. Uh, and the drive is about 22 hours there and 22 hours back. And yeah, I know, right? And, and I like driving, um, fortunately. Uh, and it, it went pretty well. And, but it's funny, uh, we took it over three days and we were stopping constantly. And we ate a lot on the road and stayed with some friends. And the one thing that Foster, our 40s, said um, more than anything else um, wasn't what you think. (laughs) It wasn't, are we there yet? Uh, He hardly said that at all, though he did say that a bit too. Um, The thing that he said more than anything else to us was, and he says it like this every time, he says, guys, we forgot to pray. Um, And he's, he's so cute. And and he knows that when we eat, we're supposed to pray. And I think, honestly, I think he waits. I think he waits until you take that first bite so that he can say that we forgot. Because he never says, guys, we should pray. It's always, we forgot to pray. And, and for him, what you have to do, and, and there's only one way to pray for a meal, and it's everybody has to hold hands, especially including Axel. So you've got to find a way to hold his hands, too. Um, and you say this prayer. This is the prayer we pray before we eat. We say, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Amen. Uh, I'm not sure how we got started praying that prayer before we eat, but uh, that's, that's the one. And Foster leads. He always starts it off, and it's, it's like the cutest thing ever. Um, and it was amazing to me because, uh, you know, being a dad with a young kid, you don't realize how much your kids listen to you until they do things like that, you know? <laughs> And here he is correcting us, you know, clearly we've taught Foster, clearly we've taught him that prayer matters, right, that it really matters uh, that we spend time uh, praying, that it's important, you know, and when we sit down to a meal, and he knows that at the end of the day, um, whoever puts him to bed will usually pray with him, he knows that praying involves closing your eyes and, and holding hands, um, but I'll be honest, I struggle, and I think now with him getting older, uh, how am I going to teach him about what it is to pray? Uh, How do I teach him well about talking talking to God? Uh, Even in my own life, you know, as a a pastor, I've gone through seminary, and I've read many, many books about prayer. I've spent tons of time uh, praying. I've spent tons of time talking about it. I really think it matters a lot, and I have trouble doing it well sometimes. I struggle um, sometimes with uh, having a good, consistent prayer habit. Sometimes I have that same struggle where where I'm praying and and it just doesn't feel like it it matters. Um, I struggle with how hard it can be to to find time to pray, how hard it can be uh, sometimes even to connect with God in in prayer. And I think it's funny because prayer, it seems like it should be something that comes really easy. Like it seems like it should be really, really obvious, like it should be simple. Comes to actually praying and praying with consistency over the course of your your whole life, it can feel really awkward and complicated. And uh, and while at times it comes easy, I know for me the easiest times for me to pray is when my whole world is falling apart. Uh, that's that's me when things are really hard. When uh, you know it's Saturday night and I don't know what I'm going to talk about on Sunday morning, like I am a prayer warrior in those moments, right? You know, when I was a kid and I had a test that I didn't study for the night before, I prayed. You know, at times like that, it's it's easy to pray. But most of the time, when things are sort of going okay, when you're struggling through your week, but you're getting stuff done and you're just going on the next thing, it's it's sometimes hard to make room for this. And it's funny because we know that it matters. Like, we're, we know we're supposed to... Uh, but, you know, what should we be praying about? You know, what, what are we supposed to say in our prayers? Is it, is it better? And I get these questions from people. Is it better to repeat a written prayer every time? Or, or is that not what God really wants? God really wants us to pray um, from our heart every time we pray. Um, you know, uh, how often should I do it? Um, how do I pray for someone else? You know, when you have a friend that's going through something and they just told you, they just poured out their heart to you about this horrible thing that's happening or whatever, uh, and, and a part of you just wants to say, oh, I'm so sorry, and, and move on, but you know maybe you should pray for them. What does it look like to pray for somebody in that moment? And, and even, you know, I have questions and have struggled to, you know growing up on the other side too. You know, if God, if God knows everything, what's the point of praying <laughs> Uh, the other question I ask myself sometimes is, is, does God get, like, annoyed when our prayers are, like, too small, <laughs> or they're not important enough? Um, does God even care if we pray, and, and if so, why? Is God, like, your mom, and if you forget to call him for a week, he's mad and waiting by the phone? <laughs> not my mom. She listens to this. Uh, <laughs> you know, is he afraid you're, you're in a ditch somewhere? <laughs> Prayer is this crucial thing that that we don't always feel good about. We feel bad about how we do it. We feel bad about how often we do it. And sometimes we don't get a whole lot out of it. But we know it matters. So where do we start? Where do we start to reclaim a a prayer life? And and I think um, one of the reasons this seemingly simple and seemingly Obvious thing is so hard and and so guilt ridden. Uh, it has to do with how we picture God. Um, I don't know about you, but when I have the hardest time praying and I, I have these anxieties and these worries come up around praying, oftentimes it's directly connected to how I'm imagining uh, who God is. Because I think the way we picture God, the way we imagine God as we're praying to Him, uh, it determines how we pray to Him and how. We feel about praying to him. Uh, And I think this is is so clear because uh, throughout Scripture, one of the main things that Jesus does, uh, Jesus dedicates his life uh, in his teaching, his preaching, the stories that he tells, the miracles he performs. uh, He dedicates his life to giving people a new picture of God. He spends a lot of time trying to convince people uh, to reshape the way they think about God. Everything he does in the Gospels is a part of this. Um, uh, John, John chapter 1, verse 18, is this summary of what Jesus came to the earth to do. And it says, uh, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, uh, who is God and is in close relationship with him. So no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son has made him known. Uh, So Jesus, on the Gospel of John is trying to say, Jesus came, one of the things he came to do is to make God known, to change the way that we picture God. And Luke 15 is three stories that are designed to challenge and change the way maybe we think about God. Uh, and, and it's it's hard. And the thing that Jesus is asking his disciples to do and his listeners to do, uh, to change this idea of how they think about God and how even they think about right and wrong, right? Because the way you think about God determines how you think about everything else in the world. It's difficult. So he kind of comes in the back door. Jesus tells three stories about lost things. Uh, He says, imagine you're a shepherd and you have a hundred sheep. Imagine you're a shepherd and you have a hundred sheep, but you lose one. He says, wouldn't you put your other sheep away and go find the lost sheep And when you come back, uh, you put them up on your shoulders and you celebrate with your friends. You found this one sheep, right? You've got a big flock, but a shepherd is valuable. A shepherd is worth something. You you celebrate. He says, imagine you're a shepherd. He says, I tell you that uh, in the same way, There is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner, one person who repents, than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Uh, Just like when you lose the one sheep, you go and find it, you're happy you found it. Uh, When God finds somebody who's wandered away, he's happier, Uh, he's celebrating. And he says, here's one more story. And it's kind of interesting. Uh, Jesus kind of goes down the thing. So he starts with, you know, imagine you lost one out of your hundred sheep. You know, that's, that's a small thing, but it's a big deal. It's worth seeking after. Then he says, imagine a woman. Imagine a woman who, whose whole life savings is 10 coins. And imagine she misplaces one of those 10 coins. And 10 coins might not sound like a lot, but if you lost a tenth of your life savings, I think you'd go hunting for it, wouldn't you? He says, uh, she, she lights a lamp. She sweeps every corner of her house until she finds the coin. And when she finds the coin, she's so happy, she throws a big party for everybody. She says, guys, come over. A tenth of my possessions were found. <laughs> Praise God. And, and Jesus says the same way. There is more rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Um, right? And in and, and these two stories... Um, Jesus' first hears and us, we just intuitively get. Like, we know what it means to lose something important, and we know how it feels to find something important. Um, uh, Phyllis, who shared a little bit earlier, shares this story with me sometimes, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but about finding your hearing aid, and how when it's lost, it's a big deal, and when it's found, it is worth celebrating. It's worth telling somebody about. And so these first two stories as the Jesus, are They're meant to be nodding along. Like, okay, we get it. Yes, of course. When you find something, it's good. The third story is challenging. The third story starts in 15, verse 11. Uh, and it's funny that this one is so much harder because it goes from one out of 100 sheep to one out of 10 coins to one out of two sons. He says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them, and not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off to a distant country. Um, so the story starts right away, and if you're hearing the story, um, and if you've heard the story your whole life, it doesn't seem like a big deal. It doesn't seem like a big deal, but, but in the ancient world, And even today, if if one of your kids comes to you and says, give me my inheritance, I'm done spending time with you, how do you feel about that? That's terrible. The younger son, uh, he spits in his father's face. He says, you know, I want my inheritance, which to me is another way of saying, I wish you were dead, right? Give me what's mine and, and I'll go. And he does. And so already, um, where before, you know, the sheep can't help it, the coin can't help but get lost, but, but Jesus here is and us, like we're supposed to be saying, this younger son, I don't like him very much. You're not, you're not supposed to like him. Uh, it, it continues. It says, not long after that, younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. So he wastes it. Uh, he gets everything, he wastes it, it says, after he'd spent everything... There was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need, right? He spends every dollar, every dime, and then he can't get work anymore. There's a famine, and the younger son doesn't know what to do, and so he he gets a job feeding pigs, and he has this realization as he's feeding the pigs that he wishes he could eat the food that he's giving the pigs. He wishes that he could eat uh, what they're eating because it's better than what he's eating, and the younger son says, you know what? This is crazy, this is crazy. I'm not going to do this anymore. This is even like the worst treated servants that my fathers have, my father has, they get treated better than me. They eat better than me. And he says, logically, he's like, I got to go back. I got to go back to my dad. He, he doesn't go back to his father because he feels bad at what he did to his dad, right? No, he doesn't go back because he realized he was wrong and he's ready to apologize. He, he goes back for one reason, and what's that? Because he's hungry. <laughs> the younger son, like, he's still, he's still kind of taking. He comes back to take, to take more, and, you know, he has this apology planned out, and he says, I'll, I'll go back to my dad, my dad's house, and I'll say, Father, I sinned against God, and I sinned against you. Please let me be a servant in your house so that I can have something to eat. Uh, And so he's got this plan figured out, and again, if you're the first person to hear this story, if you're reading it for the first time, this son, like, I mean, I don't want to be too mean here, but like, he's kind of a screw-up, right? He's lost his wealth, He spit in your face, he's coming back to his dad, and if you're living in that world, and this happens to your neighbor, you're thinking that dad should oppose some pretty strict requirements on this son, He even let him back in his house. And so the son, right, he's walking down the road. He's got his apology all planned out. And and you've you've probably heard this before, but as the son is, is walking down the road, this is verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. Uh, Again, this is not how you respond to somebody that spits in your face. When he was a long way off, before he could get his apology out or whatever, the father runs to his son. And one thing that helped me see this passage a little bit differently was when somebody reminded me that in the ancient world, uh, you know, dad didn't wear jeans, he wore a cloak. And if you've ever had to... um, uh, run in a robe before, um, you know that what you've got to do is you've got to reach down and you've got to hike your robe up to your waist <laughs> and run. Uh, this is not something people did in the ancient world. Uh, not for your son, not for your wife, not for your best friend. You are not hiking up your robes to run down the street. Only if uh, you know a panther is coming at you do you do something like that. But this father, uh, and it's embarrassing, right? It's embarrassing that he would do this. But, but he does. He runs. He kisses the son. He uh, throws his arms around him. He displays this completely uncomfortable level of affection. Uh, you wouldn't treat your good son this way, and he treats his screw-up son this way. It's it's crazy. It's beyond the pale. And anybody that's hearing the story for the first time is thinking, this father is a sucker. This father is taken advantage of again. He already gave this kid half of uh, his possessions, and now he's greeting him again. He says, the son shows up, and, and the father says to his servants, the, the son starts to apologize. He says, you know, father, I sinned against you, and dad's not even listening. He says um, to his servants, he says, quick, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. He doesn't uh, welcome his younger son back quietly and hope that the neighbors don't notice. Oh, we won't talk about it. I'm glad you're home, but, but everybody's going to be, um, you know, judging me for letting you back into my house. So just, you know, you can live here, you can sleep on the couch, whatever. No, he welcomes him back and he throws a party. And the party is so, so loud that his, his older son hears about it. And his older son refuses to come in because he knows who the party's for. And, and so he sends somebody in to tell his dad that he's, he's mad about this, he's, that it's not fair. And, and if you're reading the story, we tend to judge the older brother. But the older brother is, is supposed to be us. Like, we're the older brother. We're looking at this completely ridiculous display of love and care for somebody that really, really, really doesn't deserve it. For somebody that messed up and didn't even mess up that spit in the father's face. And the older brother comes, and he's mad. And he says, you know, Dad, how dare you give him all of this? What about me? You've never run down the road to see me. You've never thrown a feast for me. And the father's reply is, is so simple. Um, this, is, this is what he says. He says in verse 31, My son, the father said, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The the father doesn't have anything else to say. He says, you don't understand. I'm a father and my lost son who I thought I'd never see again has come home. I'm a father and my dead son is alive. The way you picture God determines how you pray to him. And God He's not sitting in heaven, angry that you didn't call him last week, he's not tallying his your mistakes and thinking about all the ways you failed him and rejected him and turned away from him. He's not um, worried about how much you've messed up and run away. He's not remembering that time you spit in his face, even though he gave you everything. He's also not concerned about how much better or worse you are than someone else. He doesn't need you to pray the right words, to say the right stuff to please him. But he's also not unconcerned or indifferent to you. He's not too big to care about you or your life. In this story, uh, says God is a shepherd who hunts down one of a hundred sheep and throws a party when it's found. According to Jesus, God is like a poor woman searching her windowless hut for one of ten coins that make up her life savings. And God is like a father who runs like a fool towards the son that rejected him. Is that who you picture when you pray? Because we have a God who delights to hear your voice, who winces at your wounds and who weeps at your losses who celebrates your success and so desperately wants you to be the person he made you to be. We have a father who made you, a father who sought you out even though you turned your back on him, a father that rejoices when you're found, a father that hikes up his cloak to run down the road to greet you at the end of it, no matter where you've been. We ought to pray like God loves us Like that, that God wants to hear from you. Prayer is a conversation with that person. You don't have to have the right words or put on a brave face because God loves you like that. It sounds simple, maybe, and and obvious, and, and if this sounds obvious to you that that's how God feels about you, I am so glad. I hope this is obvious. But I think it's one of those true things that we don't always believe like we should. So often in my life, it's easy to think about God in those other ways. Angry at my failures. Waiting for me to make a mistake so he can check, check off on the list. Annoyed that I simply can't figure out how to do the right thing. Bothered that I don't call enough. But that is not the God of the Bible. This week, my challenge to you and to me is is simple. May you remember what God looks like and how he sees you. A shepherd rejoicing over found sheep, a frantic widow celebrating over a found coin, and an overjoyed father putting a new robe on a returned child. May you remember what God looks like and how he sees you. And may you talk to the God who really, really loves you, because he does. Would you pray with me? Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical covenant church outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin, and you can find out more about us at BethelCov.org.